excited for round two? Anybody excited for round two this morning? Yeah. Um, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to the, to the message because what I did was I just kind of dived into the scripture that we are basing our whole year upon. As I said last week, we won't be preaching out of this scripture all year. People will bring, you know, a diverse and expressive response to the scripture, what it means to them. And, uh, but we are going to be basing our theme this year of people out of this scripture in Second Peter. So if you haven't heard the message, please go listen to it. It will make everyone's job a lot easier throughout the year just to get some context behind the scripture about what it is about that we're focusing on. The, uh, the core verse is 2 Peter 3.11, where, where Peter asked this question, in light of all these things, what kind of people ought we to be? What sort of people are we going to be in light of all these things? So it's really important that you know what all the things are, right? It's really important that you know the context. So read through. Anybody read, uh, let's do a little, little shout out. Anybody read Second Peter this week? Nice. Honestly, it'll take you about 20 minutes, if that. It's a very short book. It's an amazing letter. And it will really put every preach into context. Because we are discovering this year, what kind of people are we going to be when Jesus comes back? And that's a big question. And it's not like I was talking about last week. It's not about getting ourselves ready on the day, putting on some nice clothes. It's about living lives like Charles Wesley, I quoted last week, who are just ready. I'll quote him again. He was asked, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? How would you prepare? He said, I'd wake up at four in the morning, make myself some porridge. I'd pray. I'd climb up on my horse and I'd live out my day like I've lived out the last 10 years. I'm ready. That's what we're doing this year. We're getting ready, amen? So um, this week, I want to dive into something that really has struck me out of the context of the Scripture, um, but gets a little more specific. I want to talk about what it means to be a people without prejudice. A people without prejudice. In, in uh, verse 9 of uh, the, the chapter, chapter 3, Peter says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all would reach repentance. A little while ago, I was at um, Israel and Catherine's house. Where's Israel and Catherine? They might not be in there. They are. Israel's there. Uh, We were hanging out, and Israel asked me the question. I think it was Israel. He said, okay, so we're doing this theme of people. Josh, what do you think? Like, what's what's your kind of vision for the year? Like, what do you think the journey the church is going to go on will look like? And um, we were all discussing, and I said, you know what? I think my heart would be at the end of this year, at the end of 2020, we are a people that have a reputation of being lovers of God and lovers of our neighbors, that we're known across the city for that, that we know of ourselves, like we are totally obsessed with loving God and obsessed with loving our neighbors. That's, that is my heart for this year. Jesus said the whole law and the prophets, everything can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Love Him with your whole life, everything that you are, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. In verse 9 of chapter 3, Peter says this, Do not think that God is slow, as some people count slowness. Remember he was talking about the the, the false teachers. I talked about that last week. Don't don't think of him in that way. No, no, he's patient. He's patient with you. In fact, he wishes, he desires that no one would perish, that no one would live even a day without him, but that all would reach repentance. And this verse has really struck me. In light of all these things, In what things? That God is slow and patient with us. That he's waiting for us. That his desire is that no one would live without him. And that all would reach repentance. His desire is that we would be a repenting people. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word repent, 
I picture someone on the street with a massive sign that says, repent and believe. And they're usually like shouting at me. And as soon as we make eye contact, it gets a little awkward. Uh, but I have this kind of image when I hear that word repent, which is often kind of shrouded in some negativity. I don't know about you, but I've grown up with that kind of image of it in my mind. Like basically, do better, repent, the end is nigh. Um, and you know, there's some truth in it. But the word that, that Peter uses here, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, a lot of you will know this, but it's this Greek word, metanoia. And it's used about 12 times in the New Testament. And there's a point that the word is used. I was just studying this, because this is important. In light of all these things, what kind of people are we going to be? Peter's laying it out. The context matters. A people that repent, that we would reach repentance. So what does this mean? Well, it's used throughout the New Testament. And there's one point where it's used. I kind of want to dig in this morning. It's used in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read that out to you and then kind of give you a bit more context. It says this in Acts, in Acts chapter 11. It says, God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. A repentance that leads to life. Metanoia, that's the Greek word. And what this word means is a change in consciousness, a turning around, a different way of thinking. That's what it means. I used to always think repent was, was about acting different. It's, it's not. The Greek word in, it, in its origin is about thinking differently. It's about having a different mindset. It's about changing your consciousness, which I don't know if you've experienced this in your life, but it's a lot harder than changing your actions. It's a lot easier to change the work of your hands than it is the mindset of your, of your head. It's a lot easier to say, I'm going to do this different so it looks different. It's much harder to say, I'm going to think different. Because we have these ingrained patterns in our, in, our, in our worldviews that have shaped us for so long and they're so subtle. But repentance is about changing our mindsets so that we can receive the full and eternal life that Jesus has to offer us. Eternity is in session. It has begun. And everything that we've been talking about this morning and just experiencing of God in worship about living away from fear is about living in a repented lifestyle. It, it, living a lifestyle that is embracing of everything that Jesus has done for us. I talked about this last week, but Jesus said, I've come to give life, life in abundance. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. If you want to receive the life that Jesus has bought for us, we must repent. We must have a complete change in our thinking. You're still with me. So Tim, I love the video and I love Tim's heart with found. I just, just thought about it right now. One of the purest images of repentance is in the story of Luke 15 when um, Jesus it says the, the religious leaders and the, and the rebels were gathered around. Everyone that was available to hear the message that Jesus had in society, the religious leaders and the rebels were gathered around. He had a captive audience to share his core message. And what he said was, there was a man who had two sons. And he tells the story that you all know really well. But in the story, the younger son takes his father's money, takes his share of his inheritance. He goes off and he squanders it, right? You all remember that. And it comes a point in the story where the younger son is so just remarkable remorseful for his actions, so desperate for some food, so reckless in what he's done. He realizes he's got to go and feed pigs for a living. He's got nothing else. And he ends up eating the pig food because he's so hungry. There would have been gasps when Jesus told that story. Pigs are unclean. So what pigs eat is even dirtier. This guy was eating with pigs. That's how low he had got. And there was a point when he was eating pig food where he had a change of mind and he said, what am I doing? I should go home. 
Even my father's servants live better than this, so I'm going to go home. And he repented. He went home. That's what repentance looks like. Later on in the story, the older brother is out in the field, and the father goes out to him and says, come and join the party. Your younger son was dead, but now he's alive, lost, and now he's found. Come and join the party. And the older brother starts soaking. For the older brother to repent, it would mean leaving a work-based mentality that says what you do achieves God's affection and join the party, man. That's what repentance looks like, joining the party. It looks like going home. And Peter, when he says this in his last letter to the church, he's writing to the churches in Asia Minor, in his last letter of his life, close to death, he says, God wishes that no one would perish and that all would reach repentance. So I want to, at the beginning of this year, I want to ask us, do we have a lifestyle of repentance? Are you all for going on this journey with me just over these next few minutes? Because I'm not saying that I'm going to say anything particularly provocative or offensive or shocking, but I do feel like in the words that I've got to share with you this morning, I do feel there is going to be a shift in the spirit of things amongst us. I do believe that there is a, uh, it says in Ephesians, doesn't it? The, the battle isn't flesh and blood, it's principalities and powers of darkness. If we are to get to the end of this year and be a people that are known for the manner in which we love one another and the city around us and love God, we must be free of prejudice. We must be free. And prejudice is a, is a predetermined, unjust judgment about someone or a group that isn't based in reason or even experience. And to reach a point where we are just embracing and loving of one another, of God and the city around us, we must be free of prejudice. And I believe the only way we get there is through repentance. So when Jesus comes back, what kind of people will we be found as? A people that repent. A people that live in a way that is fully embracing of what Jesus paid for. So I want to share three things about repentance this morning. And uh, it all comes from the life of Peter because Peter gave us that last message in 2 Peter, but he had lived out a long, fruitful, and difficult ministry before that. So if you read his final letter, you've got to be recognizing he's putting, his, he's putting his gold in it. He's walking on the basis of his mistakes. He's looking over his ministry and he's sharing his final words. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? It's deep, man. He's like, this is the last thing I have to say. And Peter, as we know, has a bit of a checkered past. Peter did a lot of things wrong. He did a lot of things right, but he did a lot of things wrong. So there's a scripture in Acts 11 that I read where Peter says, even the Gentiles have been offered the gift of repentance that leads to this parisos life. Even the Gentiles. Okay, there's a story here. Can we go in this story with one another? The chapter before Acts 10 is an incredible story that I don't have the time to read it all. I'm going to jump in a little bit. I'm going to read it all, but please go home and read Acts 10 and 11. It's two chapters on one story. It takes up a lot of real estate in the book of Acts, which is Luke's letter, right, where he's recording the Acts of the Apostles. It takes up two chapters in this book, so it's very, very important. It's a lot of real estate, and this is what happens. If you've got, but I haven't got it on the screen, but if you've got it, you can just turn to it. Um, I'm not going to read all the way through, but... Uh, the beginning of uh, Acts chapter 10 says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Instantly, the early Judeo-Christian church reading this are getting shivers up their spine. What? 
You're talking about a centurion in the Roman army, a leader of the occupation, the suppressors of our people, the murderers of Jesus. And the town that he lives in is a Roman outpost that was known to be like an artillery base. It was a thriving center where Romans would stay and really establish a culture of Rome that would go out into the rest of the country. So if you're a first century Judeo-Christian right now, you're already thinking scandalous thoughts like, where are you going with this, Luke? He was a devout man. He feared God with his, with his whole household, giving alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. He was a devout man. He wasn't a follower of the way. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he was a devout man. He was a godly man. About the ninth hour of the day, it says, Cornelius clearly saw in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your actions have ascended as a memorial before God. So now send men to Joppa, a town about 30 miles from where he was, and bring one Simon, who's called Peter, which is so confusing. He let Derek, who's called Robert, know that I'm coming for dinner. <laughs> he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner. Again, another Simon, a tanner. This guy just topping up his vitamin D on a daily basis, uh, whose house is by the sea. All right, so we got Cornelius, and he has had an encounter, a vision, where he meets an angel, and this angel is saying, look, the way that you've lived your life has caused God to move on your behalf, right? The Spirit of God is moving in his life. Verse 9, it says this, the next day, they go on their journey approaching the city, and Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Anybody ever felt like that? Oh man, I'm so hungry. Um, I genuinely am. I can't wait for this church lunch together. Um, so Cornelius has had this encounter, and then he, he's sending men to go with Peter. Peter, whilst the men are on their way, this is like a, a, a Christopher Nolan film or something, like all these moving parts. Peter goes up to pray, and as he goes up to pray, Peter then falls into a trance and has a vision. And in the vision, he sees all this food, <laughs> he's so hungry, all this food appearing to him on a sheet. All these different foods, clean food and unclean food. Remember, in the Jewish mindset, there is very distinguished things that you can and can't eat, what you can and can't engage with. And it says this, he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending. And it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Peter, rise and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, no, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. Whew. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. All right. Three points about repentance. The first one is this. Repentance leads us to a place of humility. Repentance makes us humble, okay? So Peter's having this vision, and what's happening in the vision is his Jewish mindset is being radically opposed in terms of what he can and can't eat. He gets into a little bit of a debate, and I always think it's crazy when you read these stories in the Scriptures of people having miraculous heavenly visions, and they have like the tenacity and courage to go back and forth, but he says, no, I'm not doing that. I can't, I, that's unclean. I can't eat those things. But the voice comes back to him, and three times... Three times Peter debates, 
Three times is a little pattern for Peter, would you agree? Three times you will deny me, Peter. And he did. Three times after the resurrection, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? There's a pattern in Peter's life here. Three times God convinces Peter, what you once thought was unclean is now clean. What you once called common, ah, nah, nah, this is rare. He's going through the point of repentance, right? His mind is being changed and reformed. It's being absolutely reworked. That requires a deep sense of humility. You get humbled when you repent. So if you think of yourself as a repenting person, the question to ask is when I repent, when I allow God to change my mindsets about things, am I humbled by it? Like, do I feel like, oh God, can you just hold up? Say that again? Like, that doesn't make sense. You know, like, do you, does the revelation that God brings into your life, does it cause you to find a humility within yourself in response? That's what true repentance looks like. It looks like turning around, going a different way. And it's not often as radical as a prodigal son story. Sometimes it's a lot, more, it's a lot simpler. But it's changing your mindset and eroding prejudice in the way that we think, in the way that we see the world. Are we willing for God to do that in us this year? Are we willing to have encounters with God that lead us into seeing the world and the people around us in a drastically different way? That's one question, all right? So um, where am I? Where am I? Come on. Okay, I just want to jump on one thing here. Just give you a bit of context. When I first started reading Acts 10, it reminded me of another passage in Scripture that I was like digging around for. I was like, hey, there's some significance here. Because if you've read Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, some of you will know where I'm going here, there is, in some translations, it's called the incident at Antioch, right? Where Paul and Peter throw down. Peter is rebuked by Paul publicly because he refuses to eat with the Gentiles. Do you guys know about this? So in, where we are in Acts, Acts 10, a lot has already happened and isn't, is happening. Paul being, uh, Saul, Paul, Saul going to becoming Paul, the transformation in that. But the early church is really figuring out, like, who are we and what is our message to people that aren't Jews? And there's a point in Galatians 2, and it isn't clear in the, in the kind of chronology, is that a word? chronology of, of the book of Acts, exactly where Galatians 2 fits in. It could be later than Acts 11, it could be as late as Acts 15, or it could be earlier. It's just not clear. But there is this conversation between Paul and Peter, where Paul rebukes Peter for having this hypocritical approach to the Gentile believers in saying that one, they're unclean still, he still won't eat with them, in fact, he did eat with them, but when James turned up and other um, apostles turned up, he refused to eat with them, right? So there was this kind of divided nature within Peter. The second thing is, they were preaching to the Gentiles a gospel that was still based on works. They called them, the, this is not a good band name, but the circumcision party. And they were calling the Gentiles to be circumcised as the Jews and obey elements of the law so they could read receive salvation so there's this really tumult, like turmoil within the early church of like what it means for gentile believers to receive jesus that's what makes this passage in acts 10 so powerful because peter does have a preconceived prejudice-based mindset towards those that aren't jewish so there really is a metanoia repentance going on in him this is what happens next uh, da, da, da. Yes, okay, rise, kill. But Peter says, no, what God has made clean, says the Lord, do not call common. It happened three times. 
Um, hold up, guys. I'm sorry. I've got so many scriptures written down here. <laughs> okay, now let's uh, go verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, this is amazing. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at his gate. While Peter was trying to figure out what was happening, the word was being made flesh. Because some Italians were rocking up at his door. Right? So as soon as he's working out what's happening, the men arrive at the gate. Check this out. If God leads you into a genuine encounter that causes you to repent, that will be made flesh. Incarnational theology is uh, what we believe looks like something. And God will follow through. If you repent, if your, if your mindset is changed, there will be action required to evidence what has just happened, which is pretty powerful, right? So the men sent by Cornelius having uh, stood at the gate and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Confusing. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter welcomes the men in. He embraces them. He tells them who he is. And he ends up going on a journey with them back to Cornelius' house. Repentance leads us into a place of humility. All right? Our preconceived unjust, prejudice-based thinking is eroded and it causes us to become humble. As followers of Jesus, we are humble because we're aware that we live in a world, there's a fly in the ointment, we live in a world which is broken and turned around and so often we grow up with mindsets that do not reflect the king and his kingdom. So even after you got saved and after you got met Jesus, there is so much in a cultural mindset, saying this about myself, that needs to change and become aligned with the kingdom. What, or what kind of people ought we to be? People that are repentful, people that are humble to be, to be changed in the way that we see the world and see people around us. Are you with me? The second thing about repentance, it leads to humility. It also leads to inclusivity. Repentance leads to, see what's happening here. Peter has a mindset change. What you, what you used to see was unclean is now clean. And I'm going to put action to that. In fact, the men who you once saw unclean are at your door. This wasn't about pork. This was about people. There's unclean people at your door right now. And you seem to have had an issue with whether Gentiles can receive the gospel through faith alone. Well, let's put that into practice, shall we? What Peter is reckoning, recognizing here, and this is, this is a word for us all. And I know you might think, Josh, I know this. You don't need to tell me this. But it's so important that we get this at the beginning of the year. There is no one on the planet, despite origin, despite lifestyle, there is no one on the planet who is outside of God's desire to see salvation. There is no one, regardless of what they've done or what they look like, there is no one too far gone. As a church, we don't build bigger walls, we lay longer tables. That's what we do as a church, amen? That's who we are. We have created Christianese language that has very subtly brought in lines that inherently are discriminating. It's been true throughout all of church history and we want to recognize it at the beginning of the year. What kind of people should we be? People, the only lines that we draw are lines that are compassionate 
and not condemning. We want to be a people, whilst we're here on planet Earth, we erode what the church has done to the world to make it feel ostracized to the gospel that we carry. Are you with me? That is a very proactive lifestyle. That's very, very conscious effort to walk out every day of our life. There's a phrase I grew up hearing, and it's love the sin and hate the sin. You guys heard that? Love the sin and hate the sin. It's nowhere in the Bible. It was, it was like a, a phrase that came into church history three or four hundreds after for three or four hundred years after Christ. Augustine was credited to have um, written it. He said something like, um, love all of mankind but detest their sin. It was something to that effect. And it, it's become a phrase I've heard so much, which has been kind of the, the platform for evangelism. Hey, go out and love, love the sinner but hate the sin. But it's not in the scriptures. And Jesus actually says something which really should trump it. He says, love your neighbor. There's no way he says love the sinners. He just says love your neighbor, right? In fact, in John 16, it says, there is one who is coming and he will convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. You're right. You can't convince yourself of your righteousness. Only Christ can do that. You can't judge anyone. Only Christ can do that. He has come to convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. That leaves us with the manifesto to love our neighbors. And if you object to me in that sense, and I'm doing this to myself, if you have an issue with that, that must be because you have this incredible incarnational theology where the loving of your neighbor is so undeniably established, right? And I would say, tell me if you think this is wrong. Maybe not here, send me an email. I think we've got a long way to go at loving our neighbors and at seeing people as our neighbors. I just saw the trailer uh, for the Mr. Rogers film. You know that film? The Tom Hank movie? That wasn't massive in the, in the UK, was it? Um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Have any of you heard of that? It's American, yeah. But he, there's, he just, he's a kid's presenter. And he just sings this line at the beginning of his shows where he, where he just refers to anyone watching as his neighbor. Like, how are you doing, my neighbor? And I thought, this is provocative. This is gospel ammunition. Neighbor. No one is anything to you other than your neighbor. No one is less than you. No one is outside of, 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 of the human experience. Everyone in one way or another is your neighbor. And at the beginning of this year, I'm convinced that we're getting commissioned to treat the world as our neighbors rather than people that in one way or another are outside of this gospel that we carry. Because Cornelius was an Italian Roman, he was a servant of the empire. And yet the Holy Spirit said, he, in what he's doing, is expressing something to me that I need to honor and bring to completion. Could it be, my friends, that the people that we find most offensive are already being prepared for their salvation? And if we keep treating them as an issue or a hot topic, rather than our neighbors, we won't fall into the trances like Peter. We won't hear the Lord speaking like he wants to speak to us because he's waiting, searching for people with hearts that are open enough to bring people to that point of full salvation and gospel revelation. Could it be that whoever you find most offensive in your life, and we have them, it could be your mom. We have them. We have someone that's like, oh, but they're just 
they do my head in. Or like the way that they live and the way that they act, man, they're too far gone. You might not say it like that, but deep inside of us, there are these predetermined judgments and God wants to erode them, get them out. Because then Peter went from where he lived, 30 miles to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius saw him and started worshiping him. Because he was just like, ah, I'm just getting caught up in this whole revelation of, you know, God. And I'm just, my mind's being blown. He sees Peter and he starts worshiping him. So Peter says, stand up. I'm just a man like you. And he preaches the gospel of Jesus. It's so good. Let me tell you what Peter says. I'm going to find it in my, in my notes right here. Are you guys still with me? Are we still okay? Um, he, Peter says in verse 28, he says, You yourselves, you guys, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or even to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me. You ready for the gospel message this morning? God has shown me I should not call any person uncommon or unclean. That's amazing. Peter got a revelation. It's not about food. It's about people. That no one is uncommon or unclean. Common or unclean. I should take that out of my vocab. No one. Because I want to see everyone that I have interaction with come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in fullness. And he's being shown that if he goes in with a mindset of in, out, them, us, he won't have the opportunity to be rocking up at the houses of people as influential and other in the way that Cornelius was. So as a church and as a people, can we live without prejudice this year? Can we go on a journey that says, Lord, we want to have repenting hearts, Lord, hearts that are just constantly growing in the revelation of who you are. Could it be that when Peter was writing his final letter to the churches and he said, God wishes for no man to perish, but that, for, that all would reach, reach repentance. Could it be that it was out of this revelation? And so we shouldn't live out of any lesser revelation than the most recent revelation. Like how can we be people that still live with Gentile and Jewish mentalities like them, us, in, out, unclean, common, it's over. And then you might be saying, oh, Josh, this is basic, man, I know it. I, I know it's basic, but it feels like we still don't have it, or at least I don't. <laughs> so maybe I'm preaching to myself, but, I, but I'm thinking probably not. Pentecostal front row again, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> repentance leads us to a place of humility, and repentance leads us into an inclusivity. You're welcome. Uh, you know, if that balcony is going to get filled, it's going to get filled with people that don't look like us, think like us, act like us. And at times believe like us, right? But if we want it filled then, and we want a table as big as that, then we have to lay our prejudice down. Down, down, down. It's over. It's finished. All right, final point. Repentance leads us to humility, inclusivity. And finally, repentance leads us to a place of unity. Repentance leads us to be unified. Let me tell you this amazing scripture in Acts 15, which is the Council of Jerusalem. Oh man, could you imagine? If I could be honestly at any point in the scripture, I would love to be sat at a table at the Council of Jerusalem. Not saying anything, just making notes for filming it. You got all this activity in the first century. You got all these incredible apostles and leaders and fathers of the faith doing their various mission trips, preaching the gospel, and then they all come together. At the end, they all come together in Acts 15 and they start like diving into theology and start working out like, is there congruency and consistency in the message that we're preaching? And I want to read to you 
something that Peter says, all right? Chapters after this encounter with Cornelius and with the Spirit of God, chapters after that. And, and, and presumably after or at the time of, around the time of this rebuke that he gets from Paul, which must have been humbling. Saul who killed Christians rebuking Peter who defended Christ, right? But it says this, Peter stands up and he addressed the council. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God knows the heart. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just like he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. He purified their hearts by faith. We are justified because of the word that God has spoken. We are set free because of our faith in Christ. Faith alone. Amen? Woo! So why now do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Oh man, that person that you find most offensive when you really think about it, who they are, their lifestyle, what they do, they're going to get saved in the exact same way that you did. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling them about the signs and wonders that God had done amongst the Gentiles. So Peter gets up and he preaches. and He's like, we're changing this. We're repenting. We're moving into this. And then Paul and Barnabas stood up and they were like, yeah, just to make the point, we're going to tell you about the signs and wonders that God has been doing amongst the Gentiles, right? So they tell him about the, the, the signs and wonders amongst the Gentiles. And when they finished, James stands up. Oh, is anybody like Bible geeks nerding out right now? Peter, and then Paul, and then Barnabas, and then James. Brothers, he says, brothers, listen to me. Before I quote James, James was one of the hypocrites at Antioch. James was a part of the circumcision party, all right? Brothers, listen to me. <laughs> Simon, who's called Peter, <laughs> has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent in its ruins. I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does this thing, these things known from long ago. Acts 11, one more time at the end. Peter says this. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, I'm getting goosebumps right now. When the other brothers heard this, they had no further objections. They praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's for everyone. And just because you've had it a little longer doesn't mean anyone's going to get it any different. I would love for us to begin this year asking this question, what kind of people ought we to be? We are, we are to be those people that have a lifestyle of repentance, renewal, and reawakening. It says in Corinthians, who can know the mind of Christ? Full stop. We have the mind of Christ. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. We have the mind of Christ, but a lot of the time we don't think like it. Would you agree? 
Where was Jesus when the hot topic debates about certain people were happening? He was having dinner with them. So we shouldn't say anything publicly about a certain type of person if we're not practicing a Christ-centered relationship with them privately. Don't talk about people, Josh. Don't talk about people. Don't talk about lifestyles. Don't talk in judgment or prejudice about anyone, especially if you're not practicing with them in relationship. Jesus, yeah? What about the prostitutes? Oh, he's, he's booked in for dinner with one of them at Friday night. What about the tax collectors? Oh, he's having lunch with them before. He didn't really speak about that, you might realize, in the Gospels. Who did he go after? The religious, man. Those with prejudice and judgment in their mindset. So I'm just excited for us to do a year of repenting. Hey, can you, anyone pass me a phone real quick? I'm, I'm hoping that this might work out. All right, I'm, I am finishing right now. I'm sorry, I'm going on a little long. shadow. What I want to do this, do this morning is us turn to the light as we did in worship. No more fear here in Jesus' name. No more fear here. I'm looking at the light. I'm not letting the light hit me and create this distorted image that I'm not prepared to turn around and be confronted to see the truth of. Are you with me? All right. Why don't we, uh, should we should let's, let's uh, get the band up and we're just going to stand together and pray together. I know I've gone on a little bit this morning, but I just wanted to get all of this out to you guys at the beginning of the year. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Would you, would you, would you put your hand on your heart with me this morning? We're going to pray a, a prayer over our hearts, over our inner beings. And when we finish praying, if you want to come down at the front and receive prayer and ministry, if you want to receive communion, please do that. But Lord, we come to you this morning with hearts desperate to live free from fear. You can say amen if you agree. To live free from fear in Jesus' name. To live free from judgment and prejudice. Lord, we want to live lives that are repenting, Lord. Lives that keep acknowledging it is only through our trust and our faith in you, through your word, through your action that we are saved. Lord, we thank you that your word says that he that knew no sin became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. He says in Galatians, he says, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. So the life I live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Lord, may we live lifestyles that are entrusting of you and your word towards us, not of our own base uh, logic and reason and prejudice, Lord. May we be people this year that are free, that are found to be serving and uplifting in Jesus' name. Father, move amongst us this morning, even, even now and over lunch, Lord, as we eat together in our conversations, as we worship and pray, Lord, as we have communion with one another. Lord, may our hearts be repenting. May our hearts and our minds be turned around to see the light, Lord. May we be light bearers in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.